Welcome to the Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybeal, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Now, here's John. Welcome to podcast number 26. I'm John Graybeal. Thanks for tuning in and listening. We're just uh, wrapping up the weekend here of uh, July 28th. It's Sunday, recording this um, once again in a hotel. This time I'm in Illinois, though. Up by uh, O'Hare, had an event to go to for my daughter. We're just following up a big weekend. Well, the Graybeal family spent the weekend uh, on the cart track with the full cart track, including the extension that goes into the skid pad. They had the Ignite Challenge up there. I will say that the Audubon did very, very well. In the past, this would be the third Ignite Challenge that has... Um, had a race at the Audubon Country Club, and we really stepped it up this time. There was a lot of Audubon members on the podium. I think we've had one or two in the past that made it to the podium, but it was very nice to see as many people reach it to the podium today. There was a lot of carts up there. I know that the senior division, always the biggest, I think had 26 carts. A lot of -of out-of-towners came in, of course, to see the new track and to see the extension. And we were uh, there a long time. More on that, we'll do some cart podcasts, you know, an additional karting podcast sometime in the future, talking a little bit more about the traveling and different karting opportunities. I know on Thursday, three helicopters that came in to participate in the extreme experience, there was quite a display of supercars there at the track. And extreme experience is... An outside company that comes in, they rent a track out, and then you get to drive a supercar for a few laps with an instructor. It's pretty exciting. I think it's pretty cool to have that opportunity to come up to get on the track and get to drive those exotic cars that we are fortunate enough to see every day at the Audubon, but there's not that many owners that are crazy enough to put them on the track at full track speeds with someone with no experience. So I commend the uh, extreme experience uh, for that. The interview this week is Ron Dabish. I'm sure everybody knows who Ron is. He is the sales marketing manager for the club, always smiling, always welcoming, talking to everybody. He was one of the first people that I met at the club and kind of introduced me around. It's a great story. It's a great opportunity to get to know everybody that's involved in the the club, and he's no exception. So without further ado, we'd like to welcome Ron Dabish on the Audubon Country Club podcast. Well, it is indeed. It's the 12th. Oh, I got a whole extra day in my life. There you go. This is like fall. You fall behind. What are you going to do with that extra 24 hours? I always fall forward, right? And spring, and spring, slip, and spring back. Like you see back. a snake, you spring back. I, I don't get near snakes. I'm not fond of them. So uh, in the North Track, and the, it's a sunny day. It's act. I mean, there's a lot of people going on. A lot of, a lot of people here today. Busy day. Busy day. Yes. Ron, say your full name. Ron Dabish. Dabish is a... German name. German name. Dabish. Dabish yes. is B. Dabish. Dabish is the is the true pronunciation. And very old German family. My great grand grandfather was a baker. In where? Skokie. I meant oh, I meant from Germany. <laughs> oh, where in Germany? No, he he landed in the U.S. and made his way to Skokie, 
Oh, okay. And uh, a baker. A baker. Your grandfather. Great great grandfather. Oh, so you probably didn't know him. Did not. Okay. No. And the story was that he was asked to leave the country, not because of any political reasons, but just he was loyal to Germany and. Did that wasn't popular back then. <laughs> I imagine not. And did he leave? He did. Oh, he did? He did. Lost his business. Everything. And what, what year was this? Boy, I don't know. I don't know. And did he come back? I don't believe he did. So he left the rest of his family here. Yeah. I mean, so his son, his, his son. His your... entire family went with. Uh, it, but somehow my grandfather stuck around. Okay. I don't know exactly how old he was. Okay. But and this all could be fake. This is just the story that our family used to pass down. It's a great. No, I love it. So, yeah. It's it's an interesting story. So, whether it's true or not is irrelevant. Typically, if it's an interesting story. Ten percent right? truth. When I was a fighter pilot, anything was le- you could say, talk about anything as long as there's ten percent truth to it. Well, there you go. You that's can get rule. into politics that's, with that. That's with the half rule. that percentage, you <laughs> can get into politics. <laughs> um, you, what is your position here at the, at the Audubon Country Club? Is that, what's your title? I think my, my title, actually, that I convinced them of was sales and marketing manager. Sales and marketing manager. Yes, sir. And uh, so, well, welcome to the podcast. Thank this you. <laughs> this is long awaited. <laughs> yes, it is. And where did you grow up? Did you grow up in Skokie? No, no. I, uh, actually, Southside uh, Oak Lawn. Okay. Uh, and then... Uh, after uh, getting married at a very young age, moved right across the street to Chicago, which uh, Evergreen Park area, mm-hmm. far southwest side of Chicago, surrounded by firemen and police officers. That's where they all congregated because they could live in the city of Chicago and still be in the suburbs. So it's the safest neighborhood in Chicago. I bet. <laughs> yeah. Surrounded by cops and firemen. It was a great place to, to grow up. Uh, well, you know, young married couple being in south side of Chicago was a cool place. And what was your first car you ever had? First car was a 1976 Volkswagen Rabbit with a four-speed manual transmission and no soundproofing in the entire car. <laughs> would that have been the, what, about the first year of Rabbit? Uh, I, I believe it would have been the second year. It was pretty, pretty rough. It's my favorite car by far. I, I stripped the front and rear bumpers off of it. My brother at the time, my oldest brother was a uh, paint and body guy, so we painted it Corvette orange from a 70, late 70s Corvette. It was like a orange red. I put a cami front spoiler on it. I put a new intake on it. That thing had to have had almost 100 horsepower. It was awful. A Zenith carburetor, I think it was, the worst carburetor on the planet because it had a tendency of, uh, there was a hole in the, in the choke that would let coolant into the carburetor really helped performance. It was, yeah, so you I'm would sure. rebuild, every winter I would rebuild the carburetor. It's fun. It's kind of a project car that... You still have it? No, no, no. Oh, I, blew, cool. I blew the engine on it uh, at about 250,000 miles. It finally gave up the ghost. And my brother, at the time, he knew he had a lot of connections. Uh, and uh, a guy by the name of Volkswagen Ron. Oh. No relation. This guy from like deep south side of Chicago, came in at night. He wouldn't come into my neighborhood during the day because he was afraid to come into the neighborhood during the day. And he came in with this, like a Sanford and Son level pickup truck with a tow bar on the back of it and dragged my Volkswagen away. It's a Aww. sad moment. Um, Volkswagen Ron. I've, I've since bought uh, five more Volkswagens. I'm driving one today. Very interesting. 
Well, it's your heritage, right? You see, well, I suppose I so. I suppose, yeah. yeah. German cars, yeah. Yeah. So how long have you been here at the at the Audubon? Uh, I'm coming up on 10 years, believe it or not. 10 years? Ten so years. you came in about four years into the operation? Well, we're years. in our 15th season, so yeah. Yeah, about yeah. five years in. So it was still pretty young and, and developing. What were you doing before? I actually worked for the Richard Petty Driving Experience. Really? I sold corporate entertainment for them and did some sponsorship sales. We based out of Chicago? Yeah. Well, the the home office was in Concord, North Carolina, just outside the in the shadow of Charlotte Motor Speedway. And uh, so my territory, I was hired in to, to cover the Chicago and Midwest Territory and quickly found out that my responsibility stretched out to 24 tracks across the nation. So uh, although I did have offices at Chicagoland Speedway, um, my responsibility was everywhere from California Speedway to, you know, out east and... Individual sale or just or corporate type stuff? Just corporate. Corporate. Stuff. Just corporate. Are, so, they, are they still doing that? that, that no, actually just recently, uh, well, when I was still with them, uh, a holding company purchased a portion from Mr. Petty. Uh, from there, it kind of went downhill and uh, retail popularity of the program was going down. Um, I kind of saw the writing on the wall and I was really very tired of a lot of travel. So I got out, and then shortly thereafter, they shut down the Chicago location, um, uh, and then they sold, recently in the past year, they sold to what was their competitor. So now it's a, a larger organization that has an open wheel, like an indie-style driving experience, uh, as well as a stock car. But it was a great organization, uh, one of the few NASCAR driving experiences that I would have trusted my family to participate in because the Petties were, a, a, still are, a great family. Uh, the, you know, four generations of racing, just a, wow. an incredible yeah. experience. They did a great job and was learned a lot from Mr. Petty himself. It was an honor to... to How long were you, were you with them? Uh, so seven or eight years. So have you always done a car, kind of a car type of thing? You know, my dad and my brothers, yeah, my oldest brother, he was always a, a big car guy. He was the only guy that was really handy of the three of us. Uh, my dad, uh, he was very, very mechanical, and I learned a lot from him. But he was into, into cars, and we'd watch races on TV, uh, you know, the wide world of sports. Back in the day, yeah. you didn't see racing on yeah. every week. Certainly not F1 or anything no. other than NASCAR. And uh, so I enjoyed, you know, I always enjoyed motorsports, but I didn't get into it until I started with the Petty Organization. I was in, I was in sales before that. I was in the printing industry. What did your dad do? My dad was a, uh, he, when he retired from Illinois Bell with 32 years under his belt, he was an engineer. So he would engineer huge systems for universities and hospitals and so forth. Never went to college. Phone type stuff? Uh, phone type, yeah, switches. And, and he was, in, uh, when he was in his heyday, he was developing ISDN and a lot of the technology that had grown to become the backbone of the internet. Mm -hmm. And uh, when he retired, it was funny, I, he had this old ham radio. And I told him, Dad, look at your computer. You can go on the Internet. It's kind of like ham radio for the 2000s. He's like, no, I don't want to have anything to do with that. He spent all that time working on the technology to make the Internet work and wanted nothing to do with it when he retired. But he was probably the smartest man I ever knew. Wow. Yeah. Is he still around? No, no. He, uh, 
He smoked, he, he was in the military, and the military introduced him to a lot of things, taught him electronics and radio communications, also taught him how to smoke. So he was a, he was a smoker for 50 years, so he had emphysema and yeah. he had Alzheimer's. So the, the saddest thing is to see the smartest man I ever knew lose his memory. And, you know, he would, he would recall stories from 25, 30 years ago plus, chapter and verse, specific details, and I would be fascinated by it. And then he would say, yeah, ask me my phone number. You know, so he, he had no short-term memory, no recollection of recent occurrences, but he could recall. It's amazing how the brain works. But, wow. uh, yeah, like I said, it's, it's, he was the smartest man I ever knew. What, did, did, was he still doing ham radio? So after he retired, he still kept doing? Uh, he just had a receiver. He didn't transmit. So he just had a, a radio, and he would listen to everything from airline pilots flying into O'Hare Midway to, you know, late at night. He would record. He had a book, and he would record at time and location and where he was listening into these various broadcasts, and it just fascinated him. I still have his radio. That's awesome. Yeah, Does he have a, a big antenna? No, it was just a portable. portable. It, was a, it was big. I mean, it was, it was, a, it was, it was a big unit. But uh, it, he would just sit it on, on the table and his cup of coffee and his nice. plate with cheese and, and crackers. That was his internet, and, internet right. It was, exactly. it was his internet, yeah. 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 I, when I was uh, flying uh, cargo, so my last few years flying in the military was cargo stuff, and we, would, uh, we could call home via ham radio guys so we'd get on hf radio and somebody was always listening they they had a phone patch set up in their house i'm sure your dad could have set that whole thing up and so we would call and then they would place a call to your home and uh i remember i remember listening because we were waiting to get in you know who knows where we were uh somewhere over the atlantic i think we were waiting to get in our chance to call home and <laughs> some poor guy he's on there he goes hey let me talk to Junior. And you hear the wife go, hey, Junior, you want to talk to Dad? He's, you know, flying in over to South Africa or something. And Junior goes, no, I'm fine. <laughs> and it's like, you know, everybody goes, like, oh, my gosh, the poor guy. Poor guy. So, yeah, that I, I wonder if they still, I, I would bet they still, you know, military guys still do that. I'm sure there's ham radio guys out there still are patching stuff. That's my ham radio story. I, I would imagine so. I think uh, used to be a boater, and I think they used that for transmitting telephone conversations for boaters. I think they used ham radio. I don't know enough about radio to, you know, lower frequency travels, longer distances. Yeah, I don't bounces. Know that you know, HF will bounce off the the horizon and bounce across. I, um, okay. We, um, I just in a couple years ago, I invested in. So I did a lot with. Um, renewable energies and we developed wind farms my partners and i developed wind farms all over texas and uh we just got into so we're into electricity transmission we just get into wireless this has nothing to do with anything wireless <laughs> uh electricity transmission of of electricity wirelessly hmm. so we have seen it work you know they have a, a transmitter up on one side of the field and an electric motor on the other or the light bulb and they're yeah. sending and it's all based on that certain wavelength where they're getting it to follow which obviously the ultimate thing would be being able to send electricity anywhere, but that has nothing to do with ham radios or uh, car racing. So the nice thing is, is if you're standing in the middle, you could actually make microwave popcorn by just holding it up. <laughs> 
That's a that, fact. That, that's uh, that's always good. That's what, you never you never without it. My yeah. kids have to have microwave popcorn in the house all the time, so they'd be right up their alley. That's the only reason to have a microwave, I think. Jiffy Pop. I remember we never oh, had yeah. Jiffy Did you have Jiffy Pop as a kid? Oh, absolutely. We never had Jiffy Pop. It was fascinating. The, the popcorn was not good, but just the whole thing. Oh, because I, I remember being at a friend's house watching that. It was, yeah. I, I don't whatever reason my mom never bought it. I don't know why. It, it, it probably, I mean, it was so small. And so I, I grew up with two older it. brothers. I doubt it. But I grew up with two older brothers, and it was... Awesome you know, like when watch. you see like oh Wild Kingdom and the animal falls <laughs> and all these animals, that was dinner at our house. So to have a Jiffy Pop, <laughs> it would have been ridiculous. There's no point. That's that's for one. Uh, so we didn't get that. We didn't get that. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, so you you get here about ten years ago. Yeah. And. Uh, Read the first full, what would you say, the first person in the sales department that was full-time? Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I, I kind of knew about this place um, being kind of in the corporate motorsports world right across the street um, for, you know, seven, eight years prior. I knew about this place, and I remember specifically one particular day where a bunch of guys came out, and, and I, I thought of them as just a bunch of wealthy guys that were really cool and and had a lot of free time, and they came over and they drove our NASCARs over at Chicago and Speedway, and they said, well, we gotta get out of here because we're going over to uh, drive our sports cars on the road course. I'm like, what? <laughs> what road course? He says, well, it's not built yet, it's just about ready, but we're gonna go check it out because we're thinking of investing in it. So I kind of nosed around and found out about it, and uh, later on, when I was still with Petty, I, I came out and I met with Mark Basso, our president and founder, and and my sole purpose was to see if I can partner with Autobahn because I was selling corporate events sure. in the NASCAR yeah. world. Why not make friends with the neighbors and try and do partnerships to do events here as well as in the NASCAR world? Um, and so my, my initial meeting with Mark was for the purpose of trying to uh, gain some uh, foothold business-wise uh, to get some, some more corporate sales. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of went from there, and I learned more that, that he was the only salesperson here, really. Uh, I mean, they had some other uh, uh, kind of independent contractor folks, but primarily it was his role to sell everything from real estate and membership and, and, and track rental. So I kind of wrote my own job description, and they fell for it. <laughs> they haven't right. gotten rid of me yet. Right, right. And actually, our current general manager, Craig Cunningham, 10 years ago was the guy who hired me back then. Uh-huh. Cause, yeah, because he's been here, right. left, been back, yeah. Right. Yeah. So he came back, and, I mean, he knew I was here, but it was kind of interesting now working with him again, hmm. coming full circle. And so what does a typical day look like for you? Is it <laughs> A typical day? A typical day. There, a an typical atypical day. day. Like, yeah, can right. we stop this and I can look that up? <laughs> I'm not quite sure what that means. That's the beauty of this place. But you're, you're, do you take any time off in the winter? No. That's the busiest time for us. It really is. Operationally, between you know April 1 and November 1, um, it's always moving. There's always events going on if, if we're all doing our jobs. There's two or three events going on a day. There's member activity. There's car track activity. There's corporate entertainment. There's all kinds of stuff going on. And so in, the, in those operational months, you can barely even catch your breath because you still have to sell. You still have to promote. You still have to get that pipeline full. But... 
in the meantime, you're out there shaking hands and kissing babies, making sure the client is having a good time, making mm-hmm. sure operationally everything is connected, because you take ownership. If I sell a corporate event, I, I feel passionate about making sure that they have a great time. And fortunately, we've got a phenomenal team here that works their tail off. Right, yep. So it's yep. not like I have to babysit them. I stay out of the way. If I'm doing my job, I'm out of the way of the operations folks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Our instructors, the track folks, everything is just, it's a well-tuned machine. But it's getting the people there. It's making sure that they understand what they're getting into and being there for when they get out of the car and they got a big dumb smile on their face. Because <laughs> if they see me, then they're like, oh, yeah, Ron, you're the guy who hooked me up with this. Where's the contract? I want to book next year or later in the year. Are you, do you go a lot of places to do? Are you, or, or most people, is it over the phone or are you face-to-face? or is, How do you do meet with everything, it's, all the it's, above? It's mostly here. I mean, this is, this is Disney World, so you really want to get everyone here and slip on the mouse ears. Once they're here, they're sold. Right. So... That is the big goal, whether you're looking to, you know, look for a new member, whether you're looking for corporate entertainment, whatever, the goal is to get them here. Because you, no matter how much you sell it over the phone or how many cool PowerPoint presentations you make or how many great emails you send, until they're here, you just don't get it. So the goal is to get someone here. And, and that's 75% of it right there. Um, but yeah, I mean, you got to go out. Yesterday, I spent the whole day on the road. It's unusual in season, but uh, you know, spent the, the whole day out on the road, kind of meeting with clients and prospects, and some really great meetings and great opportunities. And, and uh, you know, we have a unique product here. Right. It can't be promoted in any normal way. We get calls from people in radio, from people in cable TV, from people in magazines and newspapers, and. We want to help you promote your business. And then I basically explain what our business is, and they're scratching their head. <laughs> I don't know how to promote it. You know, it's not a mass market type product. You mm-hmm. can't go on the radio and say, hey, book your corporate event at Audubon Country Club. Or go be a member at Audubon. Because the, the demographic you're trying to reach is so narrow. I'm holding my fingers up real close to, in case you can't see through the microphone. <laughs> But uh, it's, it's not something you can promote to the general public because it's such a unique facility, a unique product or service. It is. How far out do you book? I mean, so it's, we're in 20, we're in July of 2019. Yeah. Are you booking, I'm assuming you have stuff booked for next year. Well, there's talk for next year. Uh, typically, corporate entertainment you book three to five months in advance. Oh, okay. Because, you know... That's, that's quicker than... Uh, I, I would figure it'd be way further out, like a no, year out no, or something. No, usually, you know, okay. in, in, the, in the late winter, February, March, is when the majority of the, the, the spring events are booked. And then, you know, you're working on summer and fall throughout the, the rest of spring. Usually, you know, a, a corporate group, they're going to get together 20 of their best clients. They're going to pick a date, then they're going to start to promote it. We contract it, and then they have to make sure they get the head count. So you want to, you know, it's, it's tough to get on the schedule of a corporate client because this is not an inexpensive program. I mean, it's a great value, and it's an exciting program, but it's not for everybody. So, you know, these are the folks that are bringing out their top clients to entertain them, to show loyalty to existing or to develop new business. Mm-hmm. So they may do a 
presentation at the beginning of the day, then break for lunch and go into our program and then finish off with a nice dinner and some cocktails. And, and, and you know, the, the people leave feeling loved. They're like, wow, I'm so amazed that you invited me to this. I've been invited to golf outings and rooftop at Wrigley and all these different events, and I've turned it down. But when I heard about this, I really wanted to go. It's different. It is unique. And it's yeah. not unique. It's beautiful. Yeah. It's great. And the facilities are fantastic to support that. Right. Exactly what you're saying, whether it's a small group, a large group, you have the facilities here that will accommodate all of it in a very professional way, not a haphazard thrown together way. No. It's very nice. And yeah, I like it. And of course, you know, the podcast recently with Chef Peggy, the food is, I mean, come on, it's fantastic. And, you know, the new bar, it's just a really, yeah, it's a very unique, um, perfect place for that. Right. Well, everyone's looking to stand out. Well, this is and the place I to don't do golf. It. I don't golf, but I hear it's pretty popular. So for corporate entertainment, that's kind of the go-to. But imagine if you're not a golfer. Younger executives these days, they're not golfers. They don't have the time for it. You know, I think that, and, and maybe I'm going to insult all the golfers in the Midwest, but, you know, golf takes a, a long time. I think it's and four people hour deal, just right? don't, it's, it's yeah, like I guess. A, I, I get, I don't, yeah, I think it's yeah, like 18 play, holes, right? That's yeah, a long time. Years, yeah. It's a lot of walking. And, and so, you know, for someone who's got a really tough schedule, to invite them out, hey, John, I want you to go golf with me. Okay, well, that's a full day almost, right? So the opposite of that is you, know, you can spend a half day, still get an amazing experience, something unique, unique. you've unique. never unique. done before. Absolutely right. unique, right. right. And it's sports fantasy, right? You know, I mean, my family was always, the, they're Cub fans. So you can't call up the Cubs and say, hey, I want to rent Wrigley and bring my corporate group out and go play ball out at Wrigley. You can't do that. But you can come out here at a world-class <laughs> road racing course, drive some amazing cars, and it's the ultimate sports fantasy. And, and you don't have to be some sort of a gearhead right. to really That's appreciate it. We're very well put. Yeah. Very well put. And like it's it. safe. So, you know, whether you're a, a, a big IT company or healthcare or finance or wealth manager or whatever, um, they're all worried about safety. So the, the list of our clients really illustrates that this is a safe program. The fact that we have eight major manufacturers, automotive manufacturers, that give us cars and, and pay to maintain those cars so that we can put executives in their cars. They trust us every year. They give us better and better cars. And it's not because we wreck cars and hurt people. It's because <laughs> we show those cars right. off in a safe, controlled environment where you can cut loose and, and have some fun, and it shows the amazing performance of a streetcar that normally you couldn't do that on the road legally. No, nor, yeah, you, and you wouldn't want to. It's, so let's just talk, talk a little bit about the, the cars that are here. Mm -hmm. That's kind of your neck of the woods, right? There. So you're. Yeah, yeah, I work with the manufacturers. Uh, there was a, uh, a program set up early on, we had one manufacturer, it was BMW. And God love them, they gave, them a whole, gave us a whole slew of cars. And uh, it became expensive to fill a fleet of 10 cars. And so they kind of backed down and said, ah, you know what, we love the program, but we're going to back it down. So actually Mark uh, and, and some of the team developed what is now called the performance fleet. And uh, I came uh, along after just in its infancy, the performance fleet was a multi-branded program of manufacturers giving us two or three cars instead of 10. 
And so what it's grown to become is we are the only facility, the only club track, or the only track really, that has a multi-branded fleet of amazing high-performance cars. Wow. And every year we get better and better cars. So this year we're partnering with Audi and BMW and Cadillac and Lexus, Jaguar, through a dealer. Uh, the rest are from, from uh, uh, manufacturers. Uh, Mercedes-Benz. And we have, a, we have a brand new Aston Martin Vantage sitting out there, another uh, dealer uh, owned yes. by our member. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so we've got these amazing cars. And where else can you go to... You can't. Participate in a driving experience where you start out in an M3, you go to an AMG Mercedes, you go to an S Audi, you go to a, a, an F Sport uh, Lexus, and, and it's like, wow, you know, these cars are amazing. What do you do to them? And that's the amazing thing, is these are bone stock cars that you can go to your Chicagoland, Northwest Indiana, whatever dealer, and buy one just like it. We don't touch it. We don't do anything to it. It's just, yeah. So I have some friends that are coming next Thursday, and the Aston Martin Advantage just showed up. And uh, yeah. it, it is nice. I do have a, uh, a network, uh, shall we say, uh, when one of us moles see the new car up here, then we quickly sent out, and the, uh, the cartel gets a message, hey, you better call quickly to get on the schedule, the, the, the touring schedule for the new car. So that's how it happens. That's how it happens, yes. They're the, the moles and the cartel, I guess, right? Well, you, you <laughs> refer to the schedule, and, and just to kind of elaborate on that, our members have the ability to reserve these cars to do lunchtime touring. So now they're not going out there and just grabbing the keys to an Aston Martin, just going out on track and hot labbing it. But uh, the, the performance fleet agreement that we have with the manufacturer says that during the lunchtime touring session, this is a non-helmeted half-hour session of about 50 to 60 miles per hour behind a pace car, you can go out and pick up the keys to any of these cars. Now you fill out a form, again, promotional consideration. Mm -hmm. That form goes to the manufacturer. Uh, but you get to drive these amazing cars. And we've had stories coming back from members hey, I bought a whatever after having driven it at Autobahn. We love to share that with the manufacturers because that's what they do it for. Instead of driving down Ogden Avenue with a sales guy sitting next to you, dodging out potholes at the dealer, you get to come here and drive it. And there's no better way to test drive it. For a half hour, roll down the windows, crank up the radio, open the sunroof, play with the dials, and enjoy it. Take some fast corners on the track. And I, I, I cannot emphasize how cool it is. Every time I bring a guest here, every time, we get a car. I mean, last year, and I, you know, last year, I'm, I ended up with a mid-engine car. I'm, I'm thinking about the C8, the new C8 Corvette mm. when it comes out. But anyway, mm -hmm. I drove uh, a, a, uh, the brand-new NSX. Mm -hmm. I drove two um, McLarens. Mm -hmm. I drove the Ferrari 488 mm -hmm. and brought my friend Porsche Doug, who's a Porsche freak, to come up here and knows everything. And I said, I go, what car do you want to drive? He goes, the, 40, the 488. So we drove the Ferrari 488. Amazing car. Mm -hmm. uh, See, so we drove. And my favorite was the uh, Evora 400, the Lotus Evora 400. Fun it was car. my favorite because it yeah. was still s sporty. It wasn't so high tech and, yeah. and stuff. So I, yeah. I really appreciated that car. There's a car for everyone here. You know, we, we have two minis, and people may laugh. Okay, well, these are JCW no. minis, the hardtop, and, and cool the, the Countryman. Inside. Yeah. Cool car. So a member hops in this, like, 
Oh, this is all right. I like this. I envision, or, I told, told my wife, this is our beach car. When we ever have a beach house, this yeah. is the car. The, in, the inside of the Mini is, is awesome. Oh, I would have never have sat in a Mini unless it was here. If I had a beach house, that's the car to get. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. It's just perfect. To me, it's just a perfect, cool car. Right. So there's, there's a car for everyone here. Well, And they're all great. I mentioned this in, in a long monologue, closing monologue a couple shows ago about driving the Cadillac here. Mm-hmm. Never thought I would be a Cadillac owner. Mm-hmm. I drove the Cadillacs here. I drove the V, what was it, CT, CTSV? CTSV last mm-hmm. year. And wow, amazing car. Mm-hmm. And which got me to look at Cadillac, which got me to look, oh, they have Super Cruise, which got me to look at, oh, I need Super Cruise. Mm-hmm. My Audi A8, which I loved and adored and thought I would always have an Audi A8 or an RS7 or an S8. I ended up Behind that Cadillac. And so go back. To, and that's a manufacturer provides those, right? Not Correct. To do it. Yes. Yeah. So next time you see that gentleman or ladies tell, tell that person that, well, here's a 100% direct correlation. Listen to the podcast. It and works. this you sold a car because you allowed them to be here. Right. And I'm sure I'm, I'm, I know I'm not the only one. I'm sure that multiple no. people, I just have the vehicle to tell everyone. <laughs> and we love to hear that because anecdotally we can share stories all day long like that. Um, hopefully the manufacturers are able to track because they do keep track of who drives the cars and they can then compare that to regional sales. So they don't let us peek behind the curtain, but the fact that they give us better and better cars there's every something year, going on there's there. uh, there's yeah. something yeah. it's working it's, gotta, it's working right. uh, you know the, there's certain manufacturers that engage more than others and and we appreciate that uh, but it's it's fun near the end of the season November December I get a chance to kind of recap with each of the manufacturers and go over the numbers and share the success of how many people drove their cars and the conversation over lunch is okay what would you like for 2020 and it's like a kid in a candy store. You can't help but giggle when you're just specking out these amazing cars. And, okay, fine, we'll have a two year in March. Two, yeah. three, four cars. Uh, we have this year some great partnerships, uh, Bettenhausen Dodge. A uh, member here uh, very generously has pro- provided two brand-new uh, Dodge Ram trucks for our safety team. Yeah, uh, Mercedes-Benz yeah. Corporate Sales has provided a beautiful GLA AMG for our official pace car. Runs out in front of every lunchtime touring session and all of our member racing. The BMW region has provided 10 330Is for our defensive driving program. Both for teens and for ladies' teens, day. For ladies' day, we do it for corporate training and we do it for law enforcement. So if we had to buy all these cars, our programs would double in price. And we wouldn't have nearly as many cars and as cool of cars. So, again, the manufacturers benefit from it. There's no doubt. But our members and our corporate clients and the teens that run through the teen school, and everyone benefits from having these cars around. That's a lot of work. We have 30, you know, 30 cars almost to, to take care of. That's a lot of maintenance, maintenance and, and tires and brakes yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and Keeping them clean, we, we have a professional detailer that details them once a week. They have to be fueled. They have to be monitored for tire wear, brake wear. Uh, it's a lot of work. Well, Moving them around. It's working, and you're doing a great job. <laughs> well, and, we, again, we have a great team so, that does it. I do. Um, so one, the one car that we haven't had here. Oh, boy. <laughs> Go ahead. My request, we have no Lamborghinis. Why would you not have a Lamborghini here to drive? Well... 
There's probably I don't have a good answer for that. That's right. I could tell you a couple of stories of how I would speculate why there's no Lamborghinis here. But I just that's my just vote. My yeah. vote is you want hey, a Lamborghini. I want a Lamborghini because you have provided us. The club has provided us with amazing cars. Right. And and when someone asks me, I said, well, there's only. I mean, I can't believe I'm saying this. I can't not. I cannot believe I'm saying this. The only supercar type I haven't driven is a Lamborghini. Lamborghini. I mean, that's just incredible to sit, to sit here and say that. Right. You know, a guy grew up in, in a cornfield and, and <laughs> uh, you know, you, that's... You grew up in a cornfield, really? Well, next to a cornfield. About I that think maybe next, next time we ought to turn the microphone around on you. Uh, well, right? okay. Okay, I'll give you a little snippet. So when I was 13 <laughs> years old, I started playing the banjo. Is that right? Out on the front porch? I saw that movie. And, Is it Deliverance? And, uh, not quite. Uh, the banjo. That's yeah. That's a cool instrument. Yeah. Banjo, five string, Scruggs style. That's hard. Love it. But I guess you play a stringed instrument. I do. But I, 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 I'd like to say that I've been playing poorly since I've been about sixth grade, fifth grade. So I, I took lessons for a while. Um, what was your first? Okay. We said, what, what was your first guitar? Do you remember? I still guitar? own it. Sweet. What is it's, it? It's a Dreadnought Epiphone, one of the original Epiphones, pre-lawsuit, um, I'm told. I think, was it Gibson or someone sued him? Gibson owns them now, Something, right? Something, I don't know. Yeah. But it, it's, or they uh, owned them at one point. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I still have it. I, I, I actually learned, or I, I got turned on That's a, a flat top? Yeah. By my cousin. For, okay, so I say flat who, top. That's an acoustic, an acoustic. An acoustic six string. Yeah, acoustic six string dreadnought. A dreadnought was named after the big battleship. So imagine like the biggest acoustic guitar that you can fit is a dreadnought. <laughs> and I don't know why I bought it, but I bought that. In fifth grade? Yeah, well, my, my cousin had a 12 string guitar. And she played 12 string guitar and she played accordion. And thank God I picked up on guitar, because I would have probably been, you know, in my parents' basement living there now, playing the accordion. I, not to insult all the accordion players, that I know we have a lot of accordion players that listen to the podcast. Yes, a lot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, she had this 12-string guitar, and I thought, oh, this is the coolest instrument on the planet, all those strings. And so um, shortly after that, I bought a six-string, and... Uh, and where did you buy it? At the I bought it from Guitar Center in Evergreen Park, Illinois. Really? Two floors of loud, boomy electric guitars, and I. And went you were a kid. I was a kid. And you picked the big, a physically big. This thing, yeah, you could barely wrap your arm around it. It's still big, <laughs> and uh, it's. Uh, I still have it. Uh, hangs up in my. I have. Uh, a room that my wife and I battle for real estate. She's got a closet with a million shoes and clothes and stuff, and I've got like six, seven guitars in there. So it still hangs on the wall, and I just picked it up the other night. I play it, and it's it's uh, very hard to play, but it's got a beautiful sound to it because it's it's old. Acoustic guitars age and sound more beautiful over time, just like a car. There's that smell of a British car. It's partly mold from the seats because it never seals, but there's a smell to a car, a vintage car. It's the same thing. As they as they mature, they have that 
patina of their paint, they have the smell, they have that sound that's different. You buy a, an acoustic guitar right off the shelf, brand new, and it sounds a little flat, and then it ages, and it settles in, and it dries out, and it matures, and the, the look of the finish and the sound of it is just like a car. Wow. It, so do you mostly play acoustic or electric? Oh, I have, I have two electrics um, that I rarely play. Um, and I've had a lot of, I, I actually, when we lived in Chicago, my next door neighbor, I thought he was a drug dealer because he had all this money and he had all these cool cars and he had a safe built into the basement of his house. <laughs> and I came to find out he was a musician. He was a professional musician. He had recorded, he you know, knew all the celebrity, all the big uh -huh, guitar uh -huh. players. And he actually owned a guitar store. And when all the musicians would come into town for a gig, they would go to see Gene. And Gene had, he sold guitars to professionals. So he and I were friends, and so he would come over every so often, and we'd play, and he would drop off a guitar. Here, play awesome. this for a couple of months. Wow. And I bought a couple of guitars from him. So I, you know, I, you know I, I, to this day, I wish I had all the guitars that he had lent me or sold me. I sold it back to him or whatever. Uh, but mostly now, I, I play just acoustic guitars. Did you play in the bands? The band or I don't. No, I I I wait till my wife goes to sleep and I go down into the family room, or if, if, kind, if you know. What kind of music? Everything from the Beatles to Ed Sheeran to whatever. I mean, the Who. My I grew up. My two older brothers were a big influence on me for music, and so you know, my middle brother and I listened to a lot of. Uh, who and Rush and Zeppelin and stuff like that. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of that area. I think, I know we got some other, so I can get by, I can get by a guitar, rhythm guitar, I can't, really? I'm a very good lead Well, player. banjo is hard. If you can play banjo, that is a, that's a lot of finger movement. That, that yeah. right hand action, it's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. And a good banjo player is phenomenal to watch. Well, I can, I, I can beat, uh, I got a couple drum sets. My, I, always, I, had, I have all kinds of musical instruments. So my daughter plays viola and my son plays cello. And I always told them, uh, I don't care what you play, but it's got to be an instrument you can play after high school. So they play cello and viola. So <laughs> Cello is a beautiful You know, I have band. loads of guitars. Oh, I guess my daughter plays piano, too. You know, piano. My neighbor gave us a really cool Wurlitzer organ. Not the B60. Not the one... Not the gym, not the Doors one, which I think okay. was a B60 or something, or 60B. Uh, not that, because that would have been valuable, <laughs> very yeah. valuable. Yeah. Um, so then I had two, I used to play drums in the church. I said, hey, I play guitar. Do you need anybody in the band? So no, we need a drummer. So I uh, bought some drums. And they said, well, if you could get electronic drums, you better so we can pipe them in, you know, better acoustics. Easier so, than trying to mic it. Yeah. So then I bought two sets. So I could have one at home and practice and one at the church. And I said, well, my son's going to probably play drums. And so there they sit. So, but anyway, I, we should have a, an Audubon band. Yeah, I mean, that's it. that was the only time I ever played in front of people was... Uh, uh, through my church, through, I was uh, for two years in the worship team, uh, and I basically lost the gig because I couldn't sing. I wasn't a vocalist. They, you know, sing. we need someone who can lead. So if you can play guitar and sing, then we've got more space for you. But who needs just another acoustic guitar guy? Yeah. Right. So yeah. I did two years stint with that, and it was great. You know, it was it was cool because you're surrounded by young people. And the guy who was the leader was like amazed because he would give me advice and kind of coach me through a particular song. 
and I would listen and I would do it. And to me, that's just what you do, right? And he was like, wow, you, you really listen. When I told you to do this, you did this. When I tell you to play this part, you did this. And I'm like, well, that's what you told me to do. He's like, yeah, but the other musicians, they don't want to do that. <laughs> so he was used to dealing with these rogue, creative, you know. Yeah, wow. So I was very... I find that that's a, that is one thing that uh, makes my life easier, is when someone tells you to do something, particularly with that certain experience, is you just simply do it. Yeah. It usually turns out pretty good. And it's, and it's <laughs> funny. It's amazing you know, how that yeah, works. It is funny that you mention that because... I used to tell my son when he was looking for jobs and getting a new job or whatever, I'd say, you know what? If you do a 75% job, you're going to excel beyond your peers. If you do an 85% job, they're going to wonder what you're up to because you're just phenomenal. If you do a 95% job, you're going to own the company in yep. five years. Yep. And I don't know if that speaks more to the level of service or integrity or whatever, work ethic, but you don't have to, you don't have to be miraculous. You don't have to have tremendous experience or amazing education necessarily. You got to show up and do the job and have some integrity and just work. When you get up when you don't want to get up and you do the job and you just plug on through it. And that is far more than what most people do, unfortunately. And people are amazed by it. I'm not sure if wiser words were ever spoken on the podcast. <laughs> I well, think that is very, I mean, timely, perfect, succinct. But it, it is true, though. When, it is. When people, you yeah. know, I'll call someone back and following up on something. They're like, oh, hey, thanks for calling them, calling back. You did say you were going to call back. I appreciate that. I'm like, I just did what I said I was going to do. And I didn't do it because I have a phenomenal memory. I write everything down. So it's like, call John about this. Mention his family. You make little notes. And I'm giving away the secret. And people, <laughs> people think that I, uh, you know, I'm very, I just write everything down because I, I, there's too many things going on. But here's, on. here's, here's where I would say, but you care. Well, yeah. You care. I mean, I'm fly, I fly with guys. I fly with, uh, you know, my, my first officers at my airline job. And um, it's, I had a guy this week. And I just said, boy, you really care. You care because you're doing everything right. When you got a question, you're looking it up. We're trying to figure out. You're engaging. Mm -hmm. um, that's awesome. It's awesome to work with people like that, uh, which all airline pilots, of course, if you're a passenger, all airline pilots, of course, are engaging and, and caring and professional. And, and professional. Skilled. Uh, yes. There's some that's just, you know, stand out, I think. Um, well, they all should. And, and really, I mean, it, just whether you're in, whether you're a pilot, whether you're in sales, whether you're in motorsports, you've got to be able to interact with people to give them that feeling of trust, right? You can be a phenomenal pilot or even physicians. Here's a perfect example. You can be a phenomenal physician. If you have a terrible bedside manner, people aren't going to like you. Now, they may seek you out because if you've got, a, you want to, you know, have open heart surgery, you want the best. But imagine if you're a, a good physician and a great personality to where you can put people at ease and you can speak to them and you can make them comfortable. A pilot, you know, someone who's afraid of flying, you look at the pilot and if they're hovering in their hands and they're all sweating, oh man, I don't know about this, I'm going to get off the plane. But, you know, hey, you know, you 
personable. You're a personable guy, right? You do this. You could talk. You could talk to people. <laughs> You're probably a great pilot, too. I've never flown in your plane. Well, Maybe I, I have. I don't know. Just, I am probably the best pilot you ever, you've ever been around. So I, 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 I would imagine and, you so. Know, as, a, as a fighter pilot, that was a requirement that we believe that. Right? Yeah. yeah. Remember, people always said, boy, you're a pretty cocky fighter pilot. I said, well... If I'm going up against them back in the day, some yeah. Russian MiG, do you want the guy that's second-guessing himself? No, you don't want a timid <laughs> fire pilot, right? Oh, no, you go ahead. Go ahead. Fly in front of me. Uh, yeah. Would you like me to slow down? Yeah, yeah. Can I get in front of you so you can shoot me and yeah. make it easier for your yeah. gun sights? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, hopefully in your approach to O'Hare, <laughs> you're not using those skills. Uh, I don't care if there's four planes in front of me. I'm going first. <laughs> Oh, I had a great week flying. Um, <laughs> this, yeah. How can people get... This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. Sure, sure. Uh, how can people get a hold of you? Well, you can call. The uh, phone, like the old days. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm really bad at emails, you know? You're not bad. You're not of, bad at emails because you, emails. any email I send you, you're on top of it. So don't say that. You're not bad at emails. I get too many emails. You know, I, I, I feel bad sometimes because I'll get a comment from someone. I emailed you three days ago, and you haven't responded yet. I'm like, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, first of all, three days ago. Okay, still within the week window, so I'm not feeling ashamed. But just call me. People don't pick up the phone and call. So What's your phone number? Uh, 815-823-8570. And that's the office line that I never answer because after the fourth ring, be patient, it goes to, I'm holding up to, to the microphone, the cell phone, and that's, it goes to so the So if you're not phone. at the desk, because you're, it'll go to your cell phone. Okay, that's go good to know. So let it ring. Yes. And email is? Ron at AutobahnCC.com. Easy. Well, there's that noise around here. What it's, is that noise around here? I can't believe he's, he's... Can we find a place where there's not someone revving their engine? Don't they know that we're live on the podcast here? Uh, I was walking. I was walking my car in the parking lot there, and a uh, plane flew over. My wife goes, "I couldn't hear you. I just hate those planes flying over." I said, "Come on." Uh, she goes, the "Oh yeah." Bills. Yeah. The she bills. was like, "Oh yeah. Never mind." <laughs> no, there's the there's the natural soundtrack. Uh, we're this is perfect. Yeah, I love it. Twenty yards away because the from mic the picks a little circuit. bit of this up, and it's, yeah, it's great. It's believable. Yeah, yeah. it's it's that, great. Yeah, it's like the. Well, thank you so much. Big weekend, big day here. You're big day here. Flexible uh, for me when I got an unscheduled overnight, as we say in the business. How was day. Washington D.C.? Was it uh, rainy? Rainy. Um, I was the second plane in after we held for 45 minutes due to a massive thunderstorm coming over the. We usually say rain shower when I'm telling the passengers in the back we're holding. Yeah. Due to a rain shower. You don't say, man, I have never seen such an intense storm. I really don't know if we're going to make it, folks. So you should see this radar. It's, oh my gosh, you should see this radar. They've invented no, a I new color that. for this storm. <laughs> we, were, we were the second ones in and uh, uh, landed. And they said, well, I was supposed to be home at 3 o'clock. So they said, well, we'll get you home by midnight. Yeah. And then about an hour later, they said, well, we'll get you home tomorrow at 9. And... Well, it's God bless you. It's, it's got to be a hectic job. It's a lot of hours, and I'm glad you're up there. Stay up there. You know, come down when you're supposed to. <laughs> it's, uh, it, 
it's one of those things, you know, like race cars, airplanes, fast stuff. Yeah. Big engines, loud noise, power. I didn't, I didn't think about it. I was talking about member Jim Missig, uh, who's been on the podcast with his son, Jordan. Fantastic family. They have yeah. a big motor home. 40, yeah. I think it's like 45 feet. And I said, yeah. and I, I just can't believe you drive that around. It's hard to drive that around. It's just so impossible to me. And he looks at me and he goes, <laughs> um, you drive a 110-foot airplane right. round. Does right. that bother you? Yeah. I go, it's not the same. It's not the same. And he goes, there's no way I could drive an airplane. And I go, yeah, well, you can drive an airplane. That's easy, you know. It's it so- doesn't look big from where you're sitting. You only got about eight feet until the nose, right? Oh, boy, when you get behind. We were behind a uh, brand new Airbus in San Francisco the other day, a 340-900 or something. I'm not an Airbus guy, but yeah. it was. It looked like I thought it was a Dreamliner, but it didn't have the, the engine, the, the exhaust of the engines has that spiky look I guess whatever but yeah yeah what a oh my gosh I look in a 737 I look like a little guppy out there next to that big whale it's got to be exciting though we talked about this you push that throttle up there you let loose how much horsepower that's a great question I wouldn't have thrust we got 24,000 pounds of thrust but I I don't know either I don't know how that equates to horsepower but that's a so my Jetta how much thrust does my Jetta have (laughs) Right? It's a stick shift. It's, it's yeah, so it's got some. It's got some. You run the height and gas in it? I do. Oh, well, then there you go. Uh, that's a great question. I don't know any idea. So for the next podcast, I think all of our listeners want to know. <laughs> how many horsepower how a 737? How many 737? horsepower a 737 has? And how much of that do you use? Um, Are you like that guy that when the light turns green, you're nailing it. You're gone. <laughs> Before the other guys are even hitting the throttle, you're up in the air. You're, you got the beverage cart moving. You're already in Use every bit of that horsepower. Um, that's a See, long, I'm turning that's a, this that's, around. That's, that's, right, that's a long, that's I'm a turning this around to be about you now. Uh, you the like producer Mark always wants to turn everything around on me. Yeah. Uh, the, uh, I don't know. It's not real fast, 0 to 60. Surprisingly, with 24,000 pounds of thrust, it's not real fast, 0 to 60. Well, um, it's, it's fast enough to get how many thousand pounds off the runway? 145 thousand pounds you know or so give or take and okay. at midway you know we're at 2500 feet we're probably airborne well because it's runway 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 houses <laughs> <laughs> there's no transition it's a 90 degree vertical yeah. yeah well that's for the next podcast i think all of our listeners would love to know how much horsepower there's a contest how about that the winner whoever well no you know whoever what? has that internet it. thing is going to answer this that's silly whoever Oh, who's the member that drives the most horsepower? Who's the member at Autobahn? Who who's has? the member that pilots slash drives the most, oh, well, the biggest horse, fair. horsepower vehicle? That's not fair. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's a 747 pilot. There, last year there was... Yeah, uh, three or four pilots here. Yeah, last year there was um, uh, a United pilot that was a social member. Yeah. We've got a couple Gary, Southwest Gary. pilots. Yeah, a couple Southwest pilots, but we'd be equal. So yeah. that's right, that we'd be equal. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that's not fair at all. That's not fair. <laughs> no, because the poor schlep out here that's got a 1,000 horsepower GTR <laughs> is going to pale in comparison to you. That's not fair. That's bringing a gun to a knife fight. Uh, that's all. Anyway, it's been my pleasure. Mine as well. Thank you for taking the time. No, thank you. Yeah. I hope most of this doesn't end up on the cutting room floor. Uh, Some of my best lines will never make the air. 
No, I think your I think what you said earlier was uh, uh, apropos. Would that be French? I don't speak French. I'm working on English. <laughs> uh, apropos. Yeah. Apropos. I can't spell it. I bet you that's where they got appropriate from. Whoa, you're a wordsmith. They paid to do that. <laughs> Thank you. Sure. Have Thank a great you. weekend. I'll try. <laughs> oh. You've been listening to Autobahn Country Club Podcast, where your host, club member John Graybill, opens the doors to America's premier auto sports club. Join us next time for Autobahn Country Club Podcast.